Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode 26. I am your host, Travis Streb. Today, I've got the pleasure of interviewing Ryan Walton. He is the founder of the website Daring to Dad, which is a website dedicated to holding space for honest conversations about fatherhood, masculinity, and faith. Uh, Ryan has a, an incredible story that involves him being an ex-evangelical, a former pastor. We talked about his whole deconstruction process around his own faith, and we talked entirely about fatherhood. So we took a lot of deviations, a lot of tangents, but we really wanted to have a conversation about what it means to show up in the world as a conscious father, uh, how we're really all in this together as dads, and that you know there's no perfect model for fatherhood. I think the you know biggest takeaway from this episode for me was just the the need for as fathers, you know, when we're looking to fix or to solve problems for our kids is to really first take a look in the mirror and make sure that we're really equipped to lead as fathers. And so if you're a dad or if you know a dad out there, you're gonna love this episode. So let's jump into episode 26. So Ryan, I think I've obviously met you in person, but for the benefit of my listeners, it would be amazing for you to give us a, a bit of background on the the daring to dad love story, um, <laughs> and uh, just tell us a little bit about your your work in the in the you know faith and fatherhood community, and and let my listeners know a bit more about you. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, it's, it's an honor and just to hang out and chat with you again. So thanks for that. Um, yeah, so a little bit about me and my background. Um, let's see, how long ago was this now? 15 or so years ago. Um, I just finished college and um, took a job as a pastor. And that was kind of my, my drive. I was very um, involved in kind of the the evangelical church in the, in the States. And, um, that's what I want to want to be doing and, um, came out, um, of college and took a job as a pastor here in Northern California, where I, I live now. And it was a really beautiful experience at the same time, a couple years into that began to have some experiences that radically changed, um, my identity um, and really shook some of the foundations of who I thought I was. Um, and that kind of launched me into a process of what um, I call kind of deconstruction, kind of tearing down piece by piece of this house, this identity that I built around myself. And it was a very painful and difficult process um, that reached into all areas of my life. And that process probably lasted oh, close to a decade, if not more. And um, kind of where I, I am now is in this reconstructing process. And in doing that, um, I just, you know, during that whole part, you know, we, uh, my wife and I, uh, we have two kids. I have a, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. 
shortly after my seven-year-old was born, I just began to kind of get back into uh, blogging and writing and sharing some of my experience of early fatherhood on um, social media and a blog. And the community just kind of grew and developed. And I think a lot of people connected with some of the deconstruction process of faith I had been through and my exodus out of uh, the church and that whole world. And I began to tie in, I mean, talk about fatherhood and how, how I was experiencing it and just being honest about that. And the, the community just kind of grew. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. It's been really, really great. I, um, Daring to Dad is really a space where I hold conversation kind of at the intersections of, of fatherhood, faith, and masculinity, because I found like a lot of the things I was going through, how I was approaching fatherhood, um, were very much tied into identity as a man and what that meant which exploring that kind of opened up this all new other, you know, section of the conversation. Cause th so that's where we're at. And that's where I'm at today. Uh, again, I'm here in Northern California, um, kind of by day, I work as a, a content and social media manager for a large corporation. Uh, but yeah, but then in Sacramento here. So that's a little bit about my background. Wow. So, um, you know, when, when we met, we didn't actually talk a lot about the, your deconstruction process as you call it. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if that, is that something that you're willing to share a little bit of with, with the audience here? Um, Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a, it was a pretty pivotal point, especially in the evolution of your, of your current self. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I don't know. Identity is a big thing for me. I think another men I've talked to and the work that we're doing during to dad, it's also a, a big thing, but uh, yeah, when I was in my mid twenties, I was pastoring a church and I moved into, so in Northern California, I live in, in Sacramento and Sacramento is not a large city, but it's, it's, it's a big enough city to have a diverse population and, um, and a, a, a pretty robust urban center. And I, um, I moved into kind of the downtown area and it was the really first time I had lived on my own. I, you know, even though I went away to college, I, I somewhat lived in a bubble. It wasn't until I moved up here and got my own, you know, apartment in the downtown mm -hmm. area. I was managing this coffee shop. Was I really on my own for the first time? And in doing so, in the population in the area that I was in, I began to meet people that I had never met before. Uh, people from different walks of life um, uh, that I went into a lot of those relationships and space with certain narratives and stories in my mind about certain people and who they were and how the world works. And I had these stories that were kind of, you know, built into my mind because of the environments that I grew up in and was a part of and the cultures that I were a part of. And all of a sudden I came across situations and people where those narratives no longer worked anymore. Like just boom, hit this wall. And what happened when, when that starts to happen, when all of a sudden you meet someone that you're like, hang on here, I thought this person was the other or the enemy or this kind of person that was, I was supposed to stay away from, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I actually love this person. Wow, this person has just so much, just richness in life that's, that's brought so much to me. If okay, if that's not true, what else in this narrative is off? Or what else am I missing here? And just piece by piece, you begin to take apart the house, you know? And that's kind of deconstruction. And it was a really painful process for me because 
I think in particular, the um, kind of popular kind of American evangelical narrative and story that I was around, especially as a kid who grew up in the 80s and 90s in that culture in the United States, um, was very rigid socially, very conservative socially. And a lot of that narrative was just programmed into me. And so when I began to step up my own and began to question a lot of these things, began to read books that were kind of in the, the naughty section of the, of the places <laughs> I was at when I was a kid, you know, oh, you know, these, these ideas or these writers or these historians or these, this, these perspectives. I don't know, I, it, it, was a, it was a big deal for me. On one hand, it was, oh my gosh, this whole new world became available to me. At the same time, it was like just the rug got pulled from underneath my feet. You know, this was, I was, my, my livelihood, my social space, um, my identity as a person, all these things, my education, my background, everything had been built up around this identity of who I was in, in this kind of faith, in this faith community. And when you start walking away from that, all, there's ramifications in all those areas. And it took its toll on me socially, financially, mentally, emotionally, where I had to kind of go back down to square zero. And in a lot of ways, you know, eventually it would come to a reorientation, but I had to go through like this massive disorientation and who I was. And, um, it was a hard time. I was, you know, I was in my 20s. I was newly married um and trying to kind of figure out my way and navigate that space and it was it was incredibly hard um so in that uh eventually kind of walked away from uh the the church i would say my i would say my faith as a whole for a while i'm at a place now where um i I feel like there is a reorientation happening, a reconstruction of my life around faith and, some, um, and coming back to some, um, reapproaching faith in maybe some new ways after, after going through that process. And so, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was difficult. It was a, a long journey, but um, one that I'm, I look back on now with a lot of grace and softness now that I'm on the other side of it, but it was very challenging. Well, man, that sounds like that would have been like more than just challenging. Um, especially <laughs> given that you were, you were embedded in, in the church system. Like you, you had become a pastor. So yeah. not only had you, had you bought into all the, all of it, you know, mm-hmm. and you're now teaching this, um, yeah. I'm all, I'm I'm curious though how how did you separate out the 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 great teachings uh, from the from the stuff that really was not serving humanity because I have to imagine you're a man of faith um, mm-hmm. and there must be a lot of stuff that you've learned that you still believe is yeah this is really really powerful stuff to teach. Sure. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, I, I think looking back on it now and, and with where I'm at these days, there is, there's, there was a while where I looked back with just a lot of anger and resentment around some of the belief systems and structures and cultures that were all kind of intertwined and embedded. Right. And it was a, I think, 
part of the maybe this part of a grieving process whenever you let go or you lose something is there's some anger and I used to look back on it with a lot of with that and just distrust and all that I think where I'm at now you know I'm, I'm 38 now and looking back on it uh, at, at this part of my life I can look back and I can appreciate a lot of things that a upbringing in faith taught me and there are still a lot of practices and things about those stories and those teachings that I find incredibly beautiful and good that I share with my children. Um, the hard part is, and I think this is true, this is true for me and with so many people I talk to that have, are going through this process is um, how do we, you know, Yes, there are wounds and traumas that we might have in, encountered in such faith communities, or maybe even in my case, trauma that we maybe even were a part of delivering for other people with certain teachings and ways of showing up. Yeah. Um, how do we, how do we take what was good and just release some of the baggage? And that's that's a continual dance and like weaving through that because um i think and i'm i don't know you're you're in in canada i don't know how much you know you know cultural impact certain communities have and faith and religion i don't I'm really familiar but i know here in the states you know um kind of the 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 culture and the belief systems are so intertwined and so i've had to rid myself of a lot of uh, you know, what we call theology or beliefs about, you know, God, whatever, that I've come to learn are toxic and harmful, harmful to communities, harmful to, um, uh, to people mentally, uh, socially, emotionally, and to let go and to work through those things. First and foremost, like in my own world, I've had to do a lot of unlearning, mm -hmm. um, but also helping maybe other people navigate some of those roads as well. Um, I, I tell you what, Travis, I still get, you know, private messages and emails a lot from people who are, you know, working at churches, deeply embedded in certain uh, maybe areas of the country where they don't know who to go to. They're like, hey, a lot of times go something like this. Hey, I'm, I'm working at this church. I'm going through, I, I don't know if I buy any of it anymore. I don't know what to do. My entire world is wrapped up in this and I, I don't know how even to begin to process this. And uh, so that's, I have, a, I have a big heart for people in that situation because that, that, that has been me um, at points in my life. So I don't, know if that, I don't know if that answers your question yeah, it's, or not, but it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it would be ex extremely challenging. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a, um, in, a, in a family that had a strong faith base and others limited, had limited exposure to it. Um, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a very... You know, I can imagine that that process would be isolating, uh, pretty confronting. But what's interesting is in your, you know, in, in your own story, you talk about how, what great role models your own parents are um, when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, being really available, present parents and, and, and really this, the same things you're trying to bring to this Daring to Dad community. Mm -hmm. Um, so, <laughs> well, it's interesting, Chad, you bring, you yeah. bring that up, like my, it's, it's interesting, my whole, my family, I mean, you know, my, my immediate family has all been on a very similar journey. And so I, I know there are a lot of people that 
are in this place who go back and, and who maybe made some different steps or have some sort of evolving faith, but go home to families over the holidays or things like that, where there's still a lot of tension where maybe they've moved to some different places and the others haven't. I'm very fortunate, you know, my, my, uh, you know, my parents to this day are, I, I can, I can, uh, exp we can talk freely about where we've been, what we, how our beliefs have evolved over time. And, and I, I'm very fortunate. A lot of my family now is on very much similar pages with that stuff. And we all, I think, realized how we had gotten wrapped up in something, uh, this kind of subculture that influenced um, who we were. And I, I'm really happy that, you know, like I have parents who are still learning and growing and evolving. And that's a huge example for me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to have. And it's something that you're, you know, echoing out into the world now. And, and you said, you know, when, when you're taking on, you're taking on this project of, of fatherhood. Um, mm -hmm. So you talk about creating a community where people can have the conversation. And a lot of it, as you said, mm -hmm. sounds like it's similar to your experience with Faze is pe people are out there going, oh my gosh, I'm living the same life. And I have mm -hmm. to imagine that when it comes to fatherhood, there's, for those that are, that are reading your content, there must be a lot of guys going, oh my gosh, this is my world. Like, I'd love to be open and share about how difficult or how beautiful parenting can be or fatherhood can be, but I don't know where to do that. Um, so how are you, how are you driving this conversation? Like what are, I mean, I know one of the things you, you do really well is you just, you share things pretty vulnerably, but um, what's your, what's your secret sauce to getting other dads out there to engage? Uh, someone once said to me, and, and I wish I could remember who it was, but that when you share your story, you give, you give others permission to tell theirs. And I think that's where it starts for me is to your point, just sharing openly what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing. Um, I think it is, um, relationships that you know extend even beyond the digital space but connect in real life um, for example you know the the retreat that you and I were on in um in November you know there were a couple of guys up there that I knew that I had met through um these kind of spaces that we were able to share even ahead of time hey let's let's go on this retreat let's do this stuff and so the, I think when those relationships translate into real life and uh, opportunities, those are great. Um, I think it's, um, it's also the tone in which they're shared and the way that we invite others into conversation, which is a challenge, I think, here in 2019 slash 2020. I don't know. I, I think we have a lot of work, and I say we, I just think culturally have a lot of work to do when it comes to really being inviting spaces to share and, and open up. Um, and um, I think that that's one of my challenges is to really see, you know what, hey, this is a place where, you know, we're going to, we may talk about some hard things, but it's not going to be a combative space. It's not going to be a, hey, me trying to convince you to change your ways. Um, we're going to hold a respectful dialogue 
I think that's some of the keys as well. Um, there are a lot of hard issues and I think it's an incredibly important time to be talking about um, masculinity and how that translates into fatherhood right now in the United States. I think there is something happening here in our culture, um, politically, socially, um, spiritually in, this, in, in our space that where this conversation I think is at the center. And I think we have to have those in a really open way. The, the more we, I, I think one of the issues that we face as, as men and as fathers is this growing sense of isolation that men have. These conversations can really push against that isolation when we are open and invitation in the language that we use. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it as well. I try, to, I try to be, have a big, big front door yeah, I mean, you've, yeah, you've got a, a big front door or, or a big tent. I mean, any in essence, anyone who's a who's a father or who identifies, you know, as the as a masculine parent in a relationship could could quite easily get involved in this. I think one of my observations in in you know having known you and and reading your content and is that the fatherhood actually might be a really nice wedge in to mm. the issues of masculinity and faith and, um, you know, and other, you know, gender equity, all kinds of other conversations that if, you know, if, if those become the topic, like if you say, who wants to have a conversation about gender equity, probably not going to yeah. find a ton of men signing up. But if you have an honest conversation about parenthood and you have a lot of fathers, yeah. it's, you know, my, in my view and in reading your stuff, it's like, well, that's a really easy conversation to have because there's less, it feels like there's less ego, less political, social risk involved mm -hmm. because fatherhood is there. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, because I think it creates common ground, right? You, you have these, you, we all love our kids and the, the, those that are in our care and we all, um, it, it kind of, that's, that's the, that, you're right, that's the thing that brings us together. We can always go back to that and we can always look across the table of maybe someone or another man who, uh, someone who loves their kids. And we can disagree on a lot of other stuff, but we can kind of come back to that. And that becomes sometimes, you know, ground zero for the dialogue and see where we go from there. And so you're right. It's, it's, it's a great wedge in talking about those things and how, um, you know, being a dad, a lot of times, if, I think if we're engaged and aware, being that it confronts a lot of our deepest held beliefs about ourselves, about the world. And it's a, you're right, it's a great uh, launch pad for more dialogue. Well, you, you talk about, you just said, you know, we all love our kids. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to talk about that for a minute. Not because I don't think that fathers love their kids, but it seems like this is a great intersection point of masculinity or at least modern versions of masculinity and fatherhood because um, certainly don't see out there. And, and I know I've, I know I've, I got two girls that are older than yours, but you know, 13 and nine, mm -hmm. like the expression of love, especially in a public setting, I think is hard for a lot of guys, myself included, a lot of dads. And you, you know, in your writing and in your content, you talk a lot about this idea of, of emotional resilience. You know, can you say a bit more about that? You know, all all dads love their kids because I'm curious. Like, how do we even just crack that 
that nut, let alone, you know, other emotions, just the, the expression of love as a parent. Yeah. Um, when I, we use this idea of like this emotional resilience, and I think a lot of, you know, uh, men, um, I don't know if, and I'm speaking generally here. There yeah, are always yeah, exceptions we're, in we're case all speaking like generally that. here. There's all, yeah. there's all kinds of exceptions and all kinds of yeah. emotionally available men out there. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, but I think generally we're not equipped or the, our cultural scripts around masculinity limit us emotionally. And so when we play into that, we, the, um, our emotional range is incredibly narrow. You, you, we, we joke about it, you know, it's in movies, it's in music, it's, a, it's everywhere. And um, I think that because of sometimes those, those self-imposed and culturally imposed limitations, we don't have the emotional strength a lot of times to weather the storms of life, particularly in fatherhood. And we pass sometimes those limitations onto our children. Um, uh, let's put it in practical terms. Um, you know, um, being able to um, admit when maybe we've we've done wrong or we're on the wrong path or did something wrong. I think there's an emotional tie to being able to do something like that, to ask for forgiveness, to say that we're sorry. Doing that in a parent-child relationship, study shows actually incredibly a healthy thing to do. You know, hey, I was wrong. The way I, maybe we overreact. We, we, we lose our temper. This just happened to me. Like the other night, I, my son came around and knocked a glass of wine that I had in my hand and spilled over the chair and over the carpet. And I like totally lost my shit. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, because it, it's wine, it's on the couch, on my leather chair, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't directing it at him, but it's the situation. I had to go back later on and say like, buddy, daddy totally like overreacted and I know that you and I are working on you know the way that we respond to some of those situations and that I did not respond well and I want to I want to commit to you I'm going to continue to work on the way that I react to those situations because you know it's actually okay now and being able to go back and do that kind of stuff right um I'm just saying I think that men we, we talk a lot about you know, there's this idea of, of strength right and protection all that kind of stuff I think a lot of times in that conversation around strength and resiliency, we leave out an emotional resiliency, an emotional strength. And I'm not talking, when I say emotional strength, and I'm not talking about ignoring emotions. I'm actually <laughs> yeah. talking about really feeling them, being able to recognize them, identify them, and move through and regulate. Um, I think is a, is, a, is a big key. So but that, that's when we talk about like emotional resiliency and availability. Well, I, I mean, I, it's, it's a big one for sure. You know, I think that's an area where it shows up in, in some of my work as well. It's not a thing that, that most men or most 
masculine identified humans on the planet are, are, are well programmed to do. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I didn't have the luxury of growing up, um, you know, with quite the same role models around fatherhood. So, you know, my two strongest male role models, um, and my dad and my grandfather, you know, they, you know, you know, good, good people completely emotionally closed off. So for me, the, the evolution of parenthood or fatherhood was really about, and the, probably the biggest lesson was about, I don't even know if it was emotional resiliency at first. It was just like emotional familiarity, mm-hmm. even, even understanding when those things were happening. Um, well, how did that, what did, what had that changed for you? I mean, was, was there a moment that you, or an experience that you had that was like, that kind of broke through some of that? Yeah. I, I mean, less so an experience and more, well, I was working with a great teacher, but it, that, and he, you know, he helped, I think, accelerate the process, but more and more, I just started noticing, oh my God, I'm like, I sound like my dad. I'm doing the same things he did. And some of those things are great. And some of those things I hated as a kid. Mm. Whereas like the very, you know, matter of fact conversation about, you know, things that are not matter of fact, um, you know, where emotions are involved, just there, everything is logical. And I think it's a really masculine default. And I think it's Mm. one that shows up a lot in, in fatherhood where Mm. we, we we force the feminine partner in a relationship to carry the emotional burden of the family. I will I will tell you that the one time this really showed up was I don't even know how long ago it was, but my wife was she she went away, which is mm-hmm. and left me with the kids, which is great, right? I was like, oh, I'm, I was happy for her, and I said, this is you know this is really good, and um, but typically I had always been the one that traveled for work and I was away, so she goes away for. I think it was a week even like it was, it was long enough. And one of the hardest things I had to do was not like the schedule and getting them to school and gymnastics and ballet. That was actually easy. The hardest Mm -hmm. part was, was managing and being the container for their emotions. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it's a thing that, um, that most fathers are taught. Um, And so I, I, you know, when I saw that emotional resiliency is big, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a huge topic. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, teaching it's pretty pretty hard, but it's it's a, a really undervalued but super important skill for a father to have. I think. Absolutely. Why? Well, you know, a lot of times, um, yeah, I think our emotional range and dealing with the widespread of emotions. I mean, a lot of times for men, I think culturally, the only acceptable emotion a lot of times is anger. And so, yeah, we we can we can we can do that. Not that we always do that well, but. I think yeah, seldom, um, seldom do we do it well, but we do it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so being able to feel, and I've always, I think for me, it's been, it's been interesting. The kind of feminine archetype for me has always been more readily available. Like I've always been, and, and this is something going back to the beginning of our conversation. One of the things I appreciate about my faith upbringing was there were always kind of these spaces to talk about what was going on internally, like in our hearts, what's happening to share. And I appreciate that because it kind of taught me this, okay, sharing about what's happening in my inner world is an, is an okay thing. Is it, was it was an acceptable thing in, in growing up. And so it's always been more readily available to me. And so I, I enjoy sitting down and having in-depth conversations about 
stuff that's going on in my life and what I'm going through. And at the, and I realized though in certain parts of my life that I've actually had more difficulty connecting with men on a, on just on, on the regular basis. I've had some just incredible like good male friendships, but on the regular, it's easier for me to sit down and have conversation with women than men because of, I think some of that availability of just talking about that and connecting emotion. I, you know, and so I, but I wonder in that, you know, as I've seen in those relationships have been hard for me, it's made me ask deeper questions about our, you know, not just, I, I don't even like you were just in general masculinity, but I think the culture of masculinity that the dominant culture of masculinity that exists right now. Um, so it, it's so in, in that exploration, like, Hey, what's going on with this? And then you see all these statistics around men and, you know, suicide and violence and this and that. And then you have things that are coming up in a, like culturally, like, you know, me too movements and all this kinds of thing where you, all this serves up, you know, okay, what's, what's the disconnect with us and this dominant culture of masculinity? What is that? And I think as you begin to move down the layers, you begin to see certain trends. So I think it's interesting. It, it is. Um <laughs> You know, and it, I, I think you're completely right. There's, there's so much of this has become cultural. And, um, you know, I think part of your conversation, part of the conversation I'm having on this podcast and in, in my work is to help change that paradigm yeah. and create it a different one. And part of what I've, you know, what I was thinking about in preparing for this interview is the fact that fatherhood in many ways, for me anyway, has been a really great testing ground for how I want to show up uh, with my wife, how I want to show up in the world. And I say testing ground, like it's a brutal testing ground, but it's, it's really beautiful because in my experience, kids don't have any filter. So the feedback and, you know, especially younger kids, it's like the feedback that you get as a father, mm -hmm. if you're paying attention, which requires a level of consciousness that a lot of fathers also have a hard mm -hmm. time with. But if you're paying attention, the feedback you get is so rich. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that my, my two daughters, you know, they, they're always giving feedback on how they're, how they're feeling about, you know, the way I'm parenting, the way I'm driving, the way I'm talking to them, you know, and it's, and it shows up in their body language. It shows up in the way they react. And it's, it's so much easier because they, they're not really, you know, I think my 13 year old's probably a little easier on me now, but they're not thinking about protecting my feelings. Right. They're just thinking about how do I give this person feedback? And so, and how do, you know, cause I'm not, I'm not enjoying what's going on or I'm really am enjoying what's going on. Here's the, here's the feedback. So um, I think it's, it's a great testing ground. I think that's why the daring to dad part of your mission is so powerful for the, for the fathers who are out there to really look at parenting as, Hey, this is a place for you to get some pretty pretty wow. blunt feedback on your way of being with your children <laughs> it is i will tell you you know um, my my seven-year-old my son loving him fully is been a 100 percent exercise in loving myself because he and i are so much here so, so much alike and i have this incredibly deep well of compassion for him at the same time i'm probably 
harder on him because of that. And it's, I've literally had to come up with mantras in my own mind about like, okay, you know, maybe say like I see a certain pattern or behavior in him that I also identify with. And I will literally, sometimes my immediate response a lot of times is thinking about all the ways that he's going to have to, this is going to get him into trouble. He's going to wrestle with this. I've had to begin to flip the narrative in my mind to say, no, let me start by saying, here's all the beauty and goodness and connection that this will create for him. This, this certain behavior, this certain personality trait was going to create for him in his life. And I've had to re-swap those narratives. It's easy for me to look at all his personality traits and immediately go, okay, well, he and I are a lot alike this way. And this is how this is going to get him into trouble. Or this is how he's going to have to struggle with this, whatever. But flipping those in my mind to say, you know what? And, and in doing that, in doing that, I have learned to have a greater compassion for myself as well. So that feedback, 100%, like, and, and doing so, that, yeah, our kids are going to expose us in ways I never anticipated. Fatherhood has been harder than I had anticipated. I had certain stories about the kind of father that I would be, and I had all these really, you know, fluffy ideas about that. And when it hit me like a Mack truck, I had to begin, you know, reassessing and reevaluating. So, well, yeah, you, I mean, you say that, you know, the, the, the first opening line on your about me is everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike Tyson quote. So yeah. what was your punch in the face moment when you were, when you were a, a father? I remember it, the, the vision that I have in my mind was this moment, you know, and I, I think early in the early days of my son, I was home with him like by myself a lot. And um, to add another layer to this, in his early days, I had some health issues going on. Uh, I was eventually diagnosed with something called Meniere's disease. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's autoimmune disease. And so I was going through some of that, trying to figure all this thing out, this fatherhood thing. And I remember at one point, I think like I had him in like one of those little, you know, cribs in the kitchen. I was trying to clean up. And he's just screaming. And I remember like, I just had this breakdown moment where I just, I had just tears. I didn't know what to do anymore. I had tears in my eyes and I just like screamed super loud. And I left the kitchen and walked into my room and shut the door and like, just kind of left in there. And the kitchen was safe. He was in his crib. He was just a baby and stuff. But I just, I had this moment where like, I just had this breakdown moment. Like, oh my gosh, this is, I, I, I don't know what to do right now. And I had to just completely like reset. I had to ask for help, um, which I think, you know, sometimes we, we, we tend to stray away from as men. Um, I had to just really, you know, even just with my wife, like tell her about what was going on and how, how I was struggling through it. And I think when confronted with that, oh, this is going to be more difficult. Um, I think that's when I found a lot of solidarity and sharing began to, sh I think, sharing those kinds of stories began to be therapeutic for me and yeah. simply getting it out, getting it out into community, getting it out there for other people. Cause that's when all of a sudden people go, Holy shit. I had that moment too, just the other day. Oh my gosh. And then you're like, okay, I'm not alone. Cause when we stay in that space and we don't begin to connect with others and we don't begin to share, when we don't reveal kind of what's going on, that's when we feel isolated, we feel alone, we feel like we're just going crazy. And that became very important for me. 
Well, it is such an important part of it. You know, I, um, my experience was, a was, I think a little different in that I, well, I don't know. I was, I was 22 when my first, my oldest Mm -hmm. daughter was born and, um, you know, she was not part of the, of the initial plan uh, between my wife Mm -hmm. and I at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, it was, it was hard because I didn't have a lot of, I, I had nobody, none of my friends were having children. Um, mm. You know, the generation gap, especially in the city I live in, is a lot, a lot more than 22 years. You know, it's more like in the mid 30s. And so, but I agree with you. There were, I had many situations where I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And I don't mm. know where to turn yeah. to. And so mm-hmm. it, it is important. And, and there's so many, you know, so many things in life like that. I, and, you know, as, as men, we're just not good at asking for help and we're not good at asking for help, especially from other guys, even yeah. though that's the place, as you say, cause you realize like, Oh man, every father has dealt with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember talking to a, actually my friends, one of my really good friends, dads, he was telling me about how awful my friend was as a baby. Cause he was really colicky. And mm-hmm. he said, man, it's, he said, it's actually, you know, he said, it's actually not that hard to see how shaken baby syndrome is a real thing. Yeah. You know, we, we judge, you know, we're like, oh, I can't believe that would ever happen. It's like, well, until you've been there at, mm-hmm. you know, two o'clock in the morning on the, you know, 18th night in a row of doing this, it's hard to say, you know, what you'll do. But if you don't get, if you don't ask for help and you don't talk to anybody, it definitely isn't going to get better. Yeah, it just, it, it builds up and builds up and builds up. And if we don't have some sort of outlet, and it could be a lot of different things for a lot of different guys, if we don't have those outlets, everything then gets channeled emotionally into those moments, into our kids. And that's where those kinds of things happen. Oh, fully, I, I fully get it. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, we end up, you know, re-traumatizing our own children in the same way that yeah. our parents did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's, yeah, absolutely. Well, given, I mean, I think given that so much of parenting is, is kind of like that though, I mean, there's obviously so many beautiful moments, but a lot of it feels like, and I think it's a lot of times for fathers, it's been my experience. Like a lot of it feels like just constant failure or constant Mm -hmm. challenge. Um, So what do you, what do you say to dads out there around like, what does it look like to be a good or, you know, like a, a successful dad you know once you get past all the instagram filters and and um you know vacations like what does it look like day to day to really show up as a as a decent father out there yeah i think sometimes you know definitely adjusting our our metrics like i don't i don't even think parenting whether it's mom or dad there's like it's it's simple as like good or bad um i think the metric is really just about just being engaged um i think no I think the work we are doing for ourselves and the kind of people that we are, the work we are putting into our own um, emotional uh, worlds, our, our health, I think is a huge component of this because I think our children see that and they, you know, to going back to whole your, your feedback about their experience and what's happening. I think that is a, that it's a big part of it. Are we putting in the work ourselves? You know, are we, um, are we um, awake and in tune with what's happening in our own lives? That's number one. I think number two is 
um, really uh, paying attention to who our children are and really helping them set sail on the journey that they are on and helping and equipping them to become the best of who they are. Not obviously like we want to have influence because we have these years of experience and things that we've learned along the way to be an influence on them. But I think the biggest thing is just knowing our kids and being, creating a place for them to feel safe in who they are. And so I think that's a, that's a big thing for me is fully embracing, not the kids that I want my children to be, not the activities that I want them to do, but just really empower them to be all that they are. And so the more comfortable I am in my own skin, the more resilient, see that I experience in my own life, I find the easier that becomes. So I would say to dads out there who are like, you know, having a hard time, sometimes we're always trying to fix these externals around us. We, we love fixing things. Right. We want to do yes, this do. that. <laughs> yeah. We, we want to, Oh, well, it's maybe it's the school they're in or, Oh, maybe it's the, maybe it's the chores they're doing or the TV they're watching or Bob, like take a minute and just look in the mirror. How are you showing up? How are you like, I know when my kids are having a hard time emotionally regulating, like, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to have a hard time with that because they're these little kids. But when it's especially difficult, I find our direct times when I'm having a hard time doing that as well. So I think taking a look in the mirror is, is, is a big component of this. Um, and, and I don't say this as someone who's like got it figured out. I mean, I have just crap moments as anybody else. And I just, these are some things in this journey that I'm on as well. And I'm connecting these dots. Um, so that's what I would say is the biggest thing with, with fatherhood and connecting. But um, I think another part of this too um, is just it's something I think we all struggle with. It's just really being present. You know, um, it, it's, it's, it sounds cliche, like everyone's kind of talking about oh, presence and present, but I think we always have to continue to work on that and just being alive in the moment with these kids. Cause that's what, I think that's what they're, that's they're going to remember. Yeah. That's been a, that's a tough one. I remember when my, you know, when my daughters were younger, one of the things I, I resisted the most was like actually sitting down and like playing with them mm -hmm. and doing the thing that they wanted to do. Like I saw yeah. You know, other other people were like way better at this than you know people in my family, my wife in particular, like way better at playing with my own kids than I was. And I was like, whoa, like that's actually this avert. But I, you know, here I was as a as a coach, like talking to people about presence, mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's so true. And it's presence is not like you know, can you not necessarily a meditation. It's like, are you just doing the thing that's in the moment with the kid, whether they're you know they're freaking out, you're playing a game and everything in between. So it's, yes. it's it, yeah, so much of it's ethereal, like, oh, you know, presence and there's like the Eckhart Tolle presence and then there's, you know, different versions of it and, you know, maybe you need to be microdosing to be present with your kids. Like, it's not as, not as hard as, <laughs> as most people yeah. think. Yeah. Um, 
It's great because it, yeah, that because you know yeah, playing with them is like fun for like five minutes, and then it's like okay, you find these things. I know I found I don't know you know you I think you eventually you navigate you find the things that you do connect. Like I don't necessarily love going to the playground and like jumping on the like the stuff with like my kids and running around. Like sometimes they want me to, but I'm just like, eh, that's not really. But you know you yeah. do find your you do find your your things and maybe for. Um, you know, some people it is, you know, playing toys, maybe someplace it is like video games, or maybe it's a certain sport or activity that they love going out and doing, or, you know, my, my kid and I, you know, my son, I would love like putting together Legos, you know, and that's got a time we can connect and both of us can be like present. So I think you just keep on trying, you find your ways where you can get in those moments and connect. Cause you're right. You're not going to relate and connect on every single thing, but you find those things where you can really be present and go from there. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Find, find the areas where you can tolerate more than 30 seconds of the activity. Um, totally. Maybe farm out the ones that you, that you yeah. can't. Yeah. Um, what, so, you know, on that, on that note though, there's also a lot of, um, a lot of guilt and shame out there when it comes to parenting mm. success. Like I've, I've yeah. talked to a lot of dads. I've, you know, I am a dad and I feel, feel guilt or shameful about ways I've showed up in my kids' lives, like, how do you, what's the conversation like around that with dads? Um, you know, my, you know, my teachers and guys in my men's group have, you know, we've shared around that and the guys have helped me like, Hey, you know, you can't carry everything. You're going to, you, you did the best mm -hmm. you could with what you had is kind of the main mantra. But what yeah. do you find? What do you find helps around that? Yeah. Well, no doubt shame is an epidemic. And it's, it's a, I, I, I care, I carry it. I know um, a lot of people uh, carry the weight of that stuff. Um, I think it happens. I think shame thrives often in comparison when we compare ourselves to other people or other situations. I should have this, you know, when like, like when we should all over ourselves, like I should be this, I should be that, or I should do this, or I should have done this. Um, don't shit mm -hmm. on yourselves. Um, I think <laughs> that that, you know, when we're, um, social media can easily be that too. Um, I think when, when we're on there, we're comparing our lives to the filtered experiences and um, perceptions of other people. I think that can be really hard. Um, I think moving through some of that is exactly what we've been talking about. I think it's sharing, being in a space where you can hear the experiences of others and you see that we all have way more in common um, than we think, than that we're not alone. Um, I think that that's a big piece of it. Um, I think just simply embracing the reality that like we are going to fuck up. Yeah. We are going, we, we, like, yes, your kid will, our kids will be in therapy someday. Actually, hopefully, I'll flip that. Hopefully kids will be in therapy someday because that means they're seeking help. And that's, you know, right. I, they're, they're better than us. They're actually asking for yeah. help. Right. Exactly. That's going to happen. You, we will pass things on and we learn. And that's where I think being able to learn along the way, um, know that we're going to mess up, picking our, and just embracing that. It's like, that's going to, that's, that's going to happen. Free yourself of this, of the pursuit of perfection. Free yourself from, you know, this over-idealization -ideal, of 
you know, what fatherhood's going to be like, what your kid is going to be like. I mean, already at like seven, I know like my, one of my kids like has had some experiences in school and I'm like, what, this is what, it's already happening. What's, what's happening? He did what? Like, I'm like, okay, letting some of that go and saying, this is part of it. And this is going to, this is going to happen. I think sometimes frees ourselves up from that, um, that disappointment and the shame that sometimes comes along with that kind of thing. So, but man, the key to, to getting away from shame, I don't know. I mean, if you're listening to this and you have the, you have the key, you know, let us know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Call, call me up and we'll put you on the show. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You know, it's funny. You mentioned this, you know, the stories that come home from your, your kids. You're like, what they're, they're doing that. For me, it's more like, I can't believe they haven't done that yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially with sure. my, my older daughter, like, you know, she's the oldest one. And so she's uh-huh. doesn't have an, uh, you know, a negative role model to follow in, in a sibling, yeah. whereas I'm the youngest of three. So, you know, uh-huh. I mean, I, I was telling my daughter this year, I'm like, I ran away from school when I was in grade three and she's already in grade four. I'm like, you haven't run away yet. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, well, it's true. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes like I, I am working to rid myself of this idea that like my kid would never. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah. I think sometimes that I sometimes think that could lead to some disappointment because there's a lot of influences and there's a lot of things out there. And sometimes what that does is makes me lazy and not in tune. Um, when I just say, well, oh, well, my kid's like this, he would never, or she would never. Right. Because I, I raised them in a certain way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Just get ready <laughs> because it's like, it will have and being prepared for for those kinds of things. I think allows me to just be a bit more awake. Um, but yeah, it can be hard, and and it's easy to beat ourselves up for it. And yes, there's always ways that we can go back to ourselves and work more. But at the same time, like our children are going to be on their own path, their own journey. And here's what I have said as my baseline rule for parenting. And shout out to my mom, who this was her mo. No matter what, no matter what, I want my kids to know that I am crazy about them. Totally head over heels. I am for them, no matter what. That's my baseline. Everything else is gravy. Like, so, you know, no matter what happens, what, you know, what happens at school, what happens that they know, they have a place to belong and acceptance and love here. That's my, that's the baseline. So I think with that going on, you know, you, you whatever you can encounter, whatever you're, you and your kids are going to encounter, if that's your baseline, I think it's going to be all right. Man, I love, I love that as a, as a mantra. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm for them. I'm in their corner. You're, yeah. uh, you're lucky to have, have been brought up that way. And I think, you know, Ron, I think that's a great way for us to start to wrap this show up, man, because mm-hmm. I can't, you yeah. know, if, if you take all the stuff we just talked about for the past hour or so, you could probably wrap it up into the, I'm always in their corner. Or I'm always yeah. there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So tell me, uh, Ryan, I'm going to link up everything in my show notes here, but where do people go to find out more about you? Yeah, Travis, thanks for having me on today. This is a, this is a gift. I appreciate it. I appreciate the work you're doing. Um, if you want to find me, you daring to dad.com. Although lately, and I, uh, there will be more coming um, in 2020 on daringtodad.com. I have some exciting things. Um, 
kind of offering some next level type of work for dads and men in 2020. So pay attention, daringtodad.com, follow along, keep up with that. I'm most active on Instagram, um, at daringtodad. That's where you can find me um, most of the time. You probably find me there too often, actually. But uh, that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me and hit me up. So follow along, join the conversation, even just to say, hey, what's up? Um, would love to hear from you. That's awesome, Ryan. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. You're the, you know, my the second guest to talk about parenting, but this is really the one that's been focused on the role of a, of the father. Um, mm-hmm. And man, you've given us some great stuff today. So thank you for your time and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. And um, I can't wait to have you back on the show. There's so many things we didn't get to cover today, but we'll uh, we'll get to them at some point. Let's do it. Can't wait, Travis. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Ryan. What did I tell you? That was quite a conversation with Ryan. I hope you took a lot away. There's a ton of practical guidance in there for dads out there. But mostly, I hope that for the dads listening, you understand that we're all making the same mistakes, having the same victories and the same challenges. And so this is a great space to lean into as a dad, as a man, and that fatherhood really is a deep teacher for any man out there. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, please keep listening to the Men at Work podcast. And I would love to hear your feedback. If you have thoughts or comments about today's episode, you can leave those on my website at travisstreb.com. And if you feel compelled, I would love to have a review on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all again next week.